suddenly the stock plummeted day after day after day after day. Now, I'm, I'm not a panic seller. I believe in the long-term strategy, you know, see what happens, uh, really go back up. I mean, we all know the ups and downs, right? But unfortunately, on this occasion, it was only down. Absolutely no up anymore. And it was a complete write-off at the end. The company ceased to exist and all the money was lost. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the risk reduction checklist I've created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests and get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Also, in the community, you can get a super special podcast listener discount on my six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. The bootcamp is for those who want to learn exactly how to value companies like a pro and advance their career in finance. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com to join our free community. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from AE Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Chris Franzen. Chris, are you ready to rock? Absolutely, Andrew. No question. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. And I can hear the birds tweaking in the background. And I know you're in a beautiful space. Let me introduce you to the audience. Chris Franzen has been a hotelier for over two decades, having worked in the US, Europe, Middle East, and Asia. He learned his trade from the ground up as a chef before rising through the ranks and being an appointed area vice president with Hyatt Hotels. As of July 2021, this month, Chris will open his own company advising operators and owners in the field of luxury hospitality. Chris, take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life. Well, good morning to Bangkok. I'm here in the beautiful Alpine village of Sermat. I was hoping I can show you a blue sky and a bit of sunshine and the famous Mount Matterhorn. But unfortunately, as you can see behind me, a lot of clouds and fog which is not usually the case in this wonderful Alpine village. So I grew up in uh, Switzerland. I'm a third generation hotelier. I learned the trade from the bottom up. I remember uh, during school holidays in summer, that made me go and wash the dishes first. Then I had to take care of the tennis courts, the mini golf, before I then went uh, into proper education, apprenticeship, as we call it in Switzerland. I did the chef apprenticeship, followed by a sommelier apprenticeship. And after that, I went to hotel school. So subsequent to the hotel school, I then uh, joined several small boutique hotel companies. I also worked for Hilton at the time. After Hilton, I joined Hyatt. And I had 22 wonderful years at Hyatt, working in many parts of the globe. And I left them this month. Can you believe it? After 22 years, in the middle of a pandemic, people thought I'm nuts. <laughs> but, you know, what to do? You said, something, you said something to me before we turn on the... The recorder and you know I, you talked about the difference between luxury hospitality versus like five star maybe you could just explain what you mean yeah. by that i don't i don't know what that yeah. means myself because i'm not in that but yeah let's hear it yeah so let me answer that question in two parts one of one part is from the uh, guest point of view there is many times a misconception that a five-star hotel is automatically a luxury hotel it's not. Uh, five-star hotels are graded on a set of points. Do they have room service? Do they have bell service? Do they have 24-hour you know, services available? But that doesn't mean they're necessarily luxury, right? 
The other mistake a lot of guests make is they go to sites like TripAdvisor. While there is, there is certainly uh, space for them to be there, unfortunately, a lot of these pages also have reviews that are not genuine or honest because everyone can just leave a review there. Now, from the operator point of view, true luxury service really starts with personalized service. Start from the moment the reservation is taken all the way to the, you know, get from the guests before they arrive. What are the do's and don'ts? What are their expectations? Build a relationship, right? It's not just about ticking a box, going through a checklist. The guest arrives at this time on this flight. No, you want to know when he arrives, is there a special requirement he has with bedding, with pillows, a special welcome drink, right? So luxury, you can have luxury in a three-star hotel if you have a really great host, a really great team who really looks after you. I'm sure most of your uh, viewers had fantastic experiences in two, three, four-star hotels, but terrible experiences in five-star hotels. <laughs> so luxury is about, yeah, luxury is about personalization right. and building a connection, a relationship, right? Many a times people come back to a hotel because they like the people, not necessarily the brand. And that for me is also luxury. That's, that's a great explanation. And for a person like myself, who's not really very aware of that whole hospitality yeah. area, that yeah. really makes a lot of sense. You know, what's the experience yeah. I have? Because I have gone to many places where it's the, the people and they're welcoming yeah. and they're friendly and they're helpful. Yeah, they may not have a tennis court. They may not have a swimming pool in some yeah. cases because yeah. they're not. And so now I understand a lot more. Well, that's mm -hmm. exciting. Thank well, you. now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it yes. will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances. Yes, yes, yes. Tell us your story. Well, you call it soccer. We call it football in Europe. It goes back to the World Cup in Brazil many, many years ago. It must be it's probably is it nine years or eight years ago. And when, when you watch your football games, you had around the pitch, you know, the big brands, you had the Coca-Colas, you had the Nikes, the Reeboks, and the McDonald's and the airlines. And there was this company flashing up ever so often, Ying Li Green Energy. So I watched a few football games. And after a while, I thought, well, whoever can afford to put uh, advertising in a World Cup that is watched by hundreds of millions of people must be a solid company, but I've never heard of them. So... After a few days, I thought, okay, let me do some investigation. And Ying Li, Green Energy, as it says, was a Chinese company who invested into solar panels. And as per my research, it was one of the biggest solar panel producers. And they had contracts in the pipeline, not signed in the pipeline, you know, in Malaysia, China, all over Asia. So I thought, man, this must be a great investment. So the stock was marked as undervalued, even better. So I went ahead and bought for several tens of thousands of dollars that Ying Li stock on the New York Stock Exchange. So about two, three days later, the stock rose and it was a fantastic investment. And I didn't pay much attention for the next few weeks. And suddenly the stock plummeted day after day after day after day. Now, I'm, I'm not a panic seller. I believe in the long-term strategy, you know, see what happens really go back up. I mean, we all know the ups and downs, right? But unfortunately, on this occasion, it was only down. Absolutely no up anymore. And it was a complete write-off at the end. The company ceased to exist and all the money was lost. 
So I think this was an absolutely terrible investment. I had other investments, but I also lost money, but not to that extent where we had a complete write-off. Right? How long was so, it before you bought it and then it turned out to be nothing? About eight, nine months. Okay. Less than a year. Less than and, a year. And what were some of the feelings that you were feeling as it was going down? Well, at first, at the beginning, I thought it's not too bad. Like any stocks, they have ups and downs. And on, you watch the financial news cycles, and there was really nothing about the company being mentioned that uh, they would be fold or that they wouldn't do what, what they said they would do. You know? So uh, I didn't really panic until a few weeks later, it was zero. So, yeah. So tell me the lessons that you learned from this. Well, the lessons that I learned is that with a lot of money, you can buy a lot of advertising space, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that you're the company on a good financial foundation or with a future. And look, many years ago, everyone talked about green energy, right? We all knew the future is, is, is going to be green. So it looked like a fantastic investment. But again, you have to look at with whom you invest, what security do you have if the company defaults? And especially markets like China, do you, have, you have very little regress or there's very little investigation you can do or research, right? Mm. If it's a new company. So that's a bit of an issue. Yep. That was definitely the biggest learning. Yeah. Well, let me, maybe I'll share some of the things that I took away. Yeah. I mean, just because a company can afford, you know, to be out there doesn't mean anything, you know, yeah. and that's, that's a fascinating thing. Cause normally we would think if a company's successful, it's going to yeah. mean something, but even take a look at GE as an example, when it crashed in yeah. the 2008 crisis, you know, so yeah. Absolutely. I think lesson number one is big companies can fail and sometimes they can fail fast. A second thing yeah, is yeah. that second thing is that, you know, with the stock market, if you invest in the overall market, it's going to go down at times, but it's going to recover. But with individual stocks, you have the problem mm -hmm. that some of them can go down and never recover. And, you know, there's yeah. two, two ways to, to think about this from an investing perspective. The first way is, well, okay, diversify, maybe own 10 or 20 stocks. So if one goes down, all right, another one's going up. But that's hard yeah. for the average person to manage a portfolio yes, of 10 or 20 stocks. Absolutely. And absolutely, so no doubt. There's another way of doing it. And I've, I've tested this particular way. I was in the Philippines and I was advising a bunch of mm -hmm. young people about how to invest. But the problem is they didn't really have the fees on the funds were really high. And they didn't have like low cost ETFs. And mm. so really, but the, but the fees for trading stocks were very low at the brokers. So, but if I advise, it was a group of about almost 2000 young people. If I, okay. advi if I advise them then to start picking stocks because the cost is low and they could build portfolios. The problem I face is that they didn't know how to do that. And it may be bad advice to tell someone who doesn't know or have an interest in picking stocks to pick stocks. Sure. So then I, sure. I decided, well, let's try something interesting. Let's do it like an academic style study. What if we look at the past 10 years and we just randomly select portfolios of 10 stocks? And I did that a thousand times as if there was a thousand different people. And what I saw was that a thousand different outcomes over 10 years, some really high mm -hmm. portfolios, some really low portfolios. And then the market average kind of in the middle. And then what I asked the question is, what if I put a stop loss of, let's say, 25% and yeah. I reset the stop loss every year in that case, what would it, what would it look like? And that, that distribution okay. that was a normal distribution of some portfolios that did really well and some those really poorly, 
it actually reduced all the poorly ones, the poor performing portfolios, almost up to the average. And what I learned yeah, from that, and my, my, my advice to the young people there is that, you know, first, you want to own probably 10 stocks in a portfolio, any less, and you're not really diversified. Much more, Absolutely. and you're becoming a little bit more like just an index fund. But if you own those and probably also stocks, different industries, right? Also correct. different industries. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but my study didn't even do that. I didn't okay. even try to diversify it. I just said random. And what I also said is, that, you know, to them is that put a stop loss in, reset it every three months or one year, and just say, yeah. I bought this stock at 100, put in maybe a 25% stop loss. And even though you're a long term investor and you like the story and all that, it proved in the research I did for the Philippine markets, I've done it for other markets too, and it generally proves it, but it can add a lot of value just to get you out. And then later, you know, you may buy that stock again if it does well, you know. And yeah. I have a portfolio in China that I've been running for a few years with Chinese stocks. And I can tell yeah. you that is very valuable in China. <laughs> oh, look, I mean, I, I did some fantastic investments in, in Chinese companies as well. And again, in, in, in the green market, like one company was producing e-scooters and some of them uh, were producing e-cars. I mean, they've done fantastically well, yeah. right? So I don't want to denounce the Chinese market by any means. Yes. Don't misunderstand me. Yep. But I also bought some companies like Alibaba. Fair, terrible. 25% down since I bought them, right? Mm. Well, it's a yeah. bit of a give and take here and there, but like as you said, I don't panic. I don't play with money. I can afford to lose. I don't wish to. I diversify. I started about a year ago with options and and, and yeah, trading with options as well, which is highly volatile, right? There were days I was the happiest man on the planet, and I told everyone, but you don't tell the next day when you basically lost as much, right, within an hour. Exactly. So, People love to talk about their winners. That's the value of this program. Yeah, correct. Correct, yeah. correct. So based Absolutely. upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Let's just say they see that you company. Know, they're drawn in by yeah. it. Yeah. I tell you what, I started investing only in companies where I understand the market, the industry, not market, sorry, the industry. I'll give you an example. I uh, started investing in hotel companies and airlines because it's uh, the cycle is very similar between the two industries. Our industry was hit by COVID, probably the heaviest out of all industries. That, I mean, hospitality and airlines. But there was a lot of money to be made. I remember I went in about a year ago when the airlines, the American airlines especially, and the American hotel companies, they went down to $20, $25 a share. They're all back up, up to $70, $90, right? So... If you know the industry and you know people want to travel again, it will bounce back. I bought the shares. People thought, ah, I don't think they're going to go back or it's going to take years. They bounced back within two, three months. It was a lot of money to be made. Ah, but I knew the industry, right? So I took the risk. So to answer your question, only play in a field that you really understand. Right. It's your Great money advice. at the end, right? That's right. Great yeah. advice. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is uh, establish the company I founded, get a decent foothold, build a good reputation, and hopefully that this whole COVID story is finally over sooner or later, and we all start traveling again, enjoying again. We don't have to think about taking tests to cross the border or take a plane. So uh, that's my hope and my wish. Great. 
Great. Absolutely. Andrew. Yep. Super. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal <laughs> for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, yeah. I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. So just go there and join, get all the free benefits, including the massive discount on the six-week Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp. As we conclude, Chris, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf thank of you. A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching. <laughs> thank model. you. Do you have any thank parting you. words for the audience? I'm accepting that reward and it started raining. So I'm actually almost happy we finish it, even though I really enjoyed talking to you. And I hope yeah. it's not the last time. If you yep. come up with any other topic, please do look Absolutely. me up and we'll be glad to talk to you again. And, and, and I, I visit you if I'm in Bangkok next time. You never perfect. know. Perfect. We're going to have yeah. some coffee. And I love the backdrop yeah. now. We start to see some mountain now behind you. Ah, you see? Yes. Absolutely. By the, the way, what you see going... behind me, that hotel, that Christiania is the hotel where, where I grew up. The hotel is still in the family. Fantastic. My uncle is running it now. So if you look for a good skiing, like skiing spot, that's the place. I'm putting a link in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I will. All right. Fantastic. Super. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying I'll see you on The Upside.